0: Good. Take your copy of God's Word, and let's go to what is one of the most critical pieces of Scripture that you're going to ever read and deal with. Because if you don't get down Genesis chapter 12, the first three, four, five verses, where you come to the Abrahamic covenant, you're going to miss everything for the rest of Scripture and the rest of human history. Um, The only chance you'll have if you don't get this thing down is to get it when you get to heaven. (laughs) Uh, So it's very important. This this lays the foundation for really everything that's going to come through the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament. This is a painting by Tissot. I asked them if they would put it up today. I wish you could see the whole thing. It it is. It's called Abraham's Caravan. And it just winds all the way back up through the, uh, what we would know to be the Judean desert. But I just thought it was a beautiful piece of painting and wanted to put it up. So there you go. Now, you got your Bibles open? Uh, Genesis chapter 12. The first 11 chapters of Genesis really are the foundation for the rest of Scripture, And in the first 11 chapters, you have three major judgments of God. Uh, There is the judgment of God that comes on Adam and Eve and on all mankind as God puts them out of the garden, and he places there a cherubim with a flaming sword uh, to bar them from ever coming back into the garden again. The second is uh, you come to Genesis chapter 6 and 7, 8 and 9, to the great worldwide flood, And to Noah, when God wipes out all of mankind, except for Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. Uh, Then you come to the third in chapter 11, where God comes down and he brings judgment on the arrogance of Nimrod and that whole empire that he was attempting to establish. And he disperses mankind uh, by dividing up the languages. So you've got three great judgments of God in, 11, in the first 11 chapters. Then you come uh, in the first 11 chapters to five curses that you see. God curses the serpent. He curses the ground. God curses Cain. He's going to curse Canaan and, um, uh, you know, the, the descendants that come out of Ham. And then he's going to curse... Um, Those that are there in the work of Nimrod in that building of the tower that is there. So you've got these three judgments. Now I want you to think about something. You've got these three judgments in the first 11 chapters and these five curses all because, now listen to this, of one single sin. One sin started the whole thing, one single sin. Now, that should give you a scope of how destructive sin really is. Everything that sin touches, it destroys. It may not destroy it immediately, but let me tell you, it sows into it seeds of destruction. But now you're going to come in chapter 12 to something radically different. You're going to come here to a huge departure of what you've been looking at in the first 11 chapters. Uh, You're going to come to a new beginning, something that God is going to do, and what God is going to establish right here, chapter 12, the first three verses, what God will do here is going to weave its way all the way through the Old Testament and is going to come out uh, in a little village called Bethlehem on a Christmas night. You're gonna have the birth of his Messiah, the birth of the Savior. And it all begins with what he's doing right here as he is separating out for himself a man and he's making a covenant with that man. Now, don't forget this. This is God's covenant with Abraham. It is not Abraham's covenant with God. God makes the covenant with Abraham. Now, I'll talk more about that in the weeks to come, but it's very critical that you remember that. Abraham doesn't have anything to do with this. This is all purely the sovereign grace of God, not just in Abraham's life, but in all of human history. So, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to get there and you ask the question: Why did God call Abraham? Well, I can't answer that. Why did God call Ab- Why did God look down in Ur? Uh, it sounds like you made you trying to. It sounds like God was trying to think of the name of the place. Ur. Um, You know, but he looks down in Ur and he finds Abraham, and why he does that, I don't know. That's the sovereignty of God. That's God's choice. Why did God choose Noah? Why did God choose uh, Isaac? Why did God choose Jacob? Why did God choose David out of all of those boys of Jesse? I don't know. Why did God choose you? I don't have an answer for that. I can't answer that. Uh, For seven years, I was Billy Graham's pastor, and on one occasion, he talked about this to me. He said, I never understood why God chose me, why God picked me. And it was a quandary to him. It was, he said, there are a lot of men who are better preachers than I am. And he said, there's certainly men that are better theologians than I am. And he never understood it, but it's obvious God's hand was on him and he was obedient to God's call. I don't know why God did it, but I know what God called Abraham to do. And this is what I want you to see tonight as you come to these first three verses of chapter 12, God calls Abraham, just like he calls you and he calls me, to make our lives count for his glory. Now that's what God's calling him to do. God calls us to make our lives count for his glory. Not for our glory, but for his glory. So tonight I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna show you two things. You know, you could spend weeks in these three verses, uh, but I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna spend tonight and then we're gonna move on. Uh, But as you come to this, I'm gonna show you two things tonight. How do you make your life count? My life counts, listen, when we respond uh, to God's call um, for separation. Now that's an important thing to see when you come to this text. Now, let's go to the text. My life counts, your life counts, our lives count when we answer God's call to separation. Now, let's begin reading chapter 12, verse one. Now, the Lord said to Abram. Now, just stop right there. Let that sink in. Think about that. Uh, And the Lord said to Abram, those six words right there. It's a profound statement. And the Lord said, that is a mark of our God that distinguishes our God from every other God that there is. Our God speaks. That is profound. That's powerful. Here it is. Here is his spoken word right here. If you want to know what God has said, here you go, right here. It's right here. Our God speaks. That's not true of any other God that you know of. Do you remember the God of the Philistines? By the way, we've been preaching, or I have, the last two weeks on um, Jonah. Do you know that the Ninevites worshiped a God called Dagon, so that the Philistines? Now, here's the funny part of that, uh, with Jonah being swallowed by a whale or a great beast, the Bible says. Um, The funny thing about Dagon is he's a fish god. Uh, That's basically what he is. Uh, He was the God of those that lived right along the Mediterranean, the Philistines, and uh, Nineveh was built right in between the Euphrates and the Tigris River. That's where they they sustained life, so they worshiped Dagon as well. Uh, You read about Dagon in the Old Testament. You remember when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it into the temple of Dagon, and they went back in the next morning, and Dagon had fallen over on his face he couldn't even holler ouch. He couldn't speak. He can't speak. Uh, Do you remember when Elijah called all of the priests and the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel? And there on Mount Carmel, he says, look, let's do this. Let's call on our God and the God that answers by fire. He'll be the God that we'll worship. And they agreed to that, and they spent the entire day calling on their God. Uh, The prophets and the priests of Baal spent the entire day screaming and calling and praying until they worked themselves into this ridiculous frenzy of where they began to just cut themselves and bleed, screaming to their God to answer, but Baal never answered because Baal is no God. And then here's Elijah who gets up and prays this little short verse of a prayer and boom, God answers. Because our God speaks. You remember that epic scene in the Ten Commandments where Pharaoh is standing there. Yul Brenner is standing there, and he's holding the lifeless body of his little boy, and he's looking at Osiris. Osiris was this god that had a dog face, a dog head, and he's praying to Osiris for life to return to his boy, and he screams at the god because his god doesn't answer him. I want you to listen to Psalm 135. Let me just read this. You don't... You don't have to go there, but Psalm 135 says this, The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. So you come to this passage, and before you get six words into what's happening here, you have to stop and understand we have a God who speaks. God spoke to Abram. Now, how did he do that? I don't know. I can't answer that. Did he speak like he spoke to Moses out of a burning bush? Did he speak to him like uh, he spoke to Isaiah when Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 walks into the temple and he sees the throne of God high and lifted up? I have no idea how God spoke to him. Uh, Stephen says in Acts chapter 7 that God appeared to him. God's going to do that in Abram's life. In Abraham's life, you're going to see a little later God is going to appear to him. Now, how all that happens, I don't know, but God speaks to him And I know what God has said to him. What God says to him is this, I want you to separate yourself. Now look at the rest of the text here. He comes and he says to Abraham, the Lord said to Abram, go forth, separate yourself from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house. Now, he gives him three things. He says, I want you to separate. I want you to leave. I want you to go forth. I want you to get out of here. Go for yourself is literally what the Hebrew says there. Go for yourself from your country. That would have been the easiest thing to do. To have left Ur would have been not near as difficult as the rest of this. From your relatives, that is your people. Leave your people. Go from your people. That's a little more difficult. And then he says, I want you to go from your father's house. I want you to get out of your father's house. Now, it goes from the easiest to the most difficult, from that which shouldn't be too hard to do to that which you're going to struggle over. But he's telling him, I want you to separate yourself from this. Now, why is God doing Why does God come to this man, Abram, in Ur, and say to him, I want you to go? Leave Ur, leave your people leave your father's house because God's going to do something new. Now, let me just tell you something. God is always doing something new. Our God specializes in doing things new. Listen to what Scripture says. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 9 says this, the Lord says, now I declare new things. Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I will do something new. Isaiah 62, 2, you will be called by a new name. Jeremiah 31, 31, the Lord says, he will make a new covenant with them. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. the Lord says, I will put a new spirit in them. God is wanting to do something new with Abram in his life. Now, just stop and think, is God ever doing anything new in your life? Do we ever want God to do something new? Most of the time, listen, and I can say this because I'm over 60, I'm over 61 now, but I can tell you this, the older we get, I am glad I'm to the place now where I can talk to senior adults because I are one. Um, I want to tell you something, the older we get, the less we like change. We don't want anything to change. We don't want anything to be new. Now, let me just tell you something. God's in the business of doing something new. He's in the business of always doing something new. When you folks here at Valleydale years ago built that contemporary building a mile down the road, down there in the dale, Y'all did something new at that point. That was a new building at some time. That was a new facility at one time. Then God called you here to this mountaintop, to this hilltop here, and you built this facility here. It's not anything like that. If you just get in your car and drive down there and take a look at it. It's not anything like that facility down there. God did something new here. Uh, when you called Jason and Jason came and he started Iron City, that was something new. God did something new then. God sent, did something new when He brought you here. God did something new when He brought the church to that place down the road a, a mile away. God is always doing something new. And I can tell you something God is in the business of doing something new at Valleydale. Some news is going to happen. Why? Because that's God. That's the way God works. God always is like that. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, all the old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become just like they were 50 years ago. No, they've all become new. Everything's become new. The question is, are we going to be difficult with God when God wants to do something new? Now listen, let me tell you, I sat in meetings from 8 o'clock until 2 o'clock yesterday, and in the middle of those meetings yesterday, I had to struggle with what I've always been reared with, what I've always known, what I've always done. And I've had to ask myself, am I willing to let God do something new? Or does it have to be like it was 30 years ago? Well, God calls Abram, he calls him, and he says, I want you to separate yourself because I'm going to do something new. Now, listen to these three things. I want you to separate yourselves geographically. God comes and he says, I want you to get up. I want you to leave Ur. I'm going to take you to a land that we know where he's gonna end up. At that point, right here in chapter 12, Abraham, he had no clue as to where God was gonna take him. He He had no sense at all of where God was going to lead him. Now, we know because we know the end of the story. We're all these thousands of years this side of Abraham, and we know the rest of the story. But right there in chapter 12, he had no clue. He said, I want you to get up. You say, now, what is he saying? He's saying this. I want you to get up from where you are rooted in and invested, and I want you to move yourself over here, root yourself down over here, and invest yourself in this place. Now, does God do that to us? Sure. God's been calling a, a number of you to get up out of your rootedness. You've just been rooted in that Sunday school class for the last 20 years. And He says, I want you to get up out of that class where you've been rooted for the last 20 years, and I want you to go down there and plant yourself in six year old little boys and girls and get rooted and invest yourself there. Now, aren't you glad you came tonight? Huh? Because that's the future of the church. That's the church of tomorrow. That's what we've got to invest in. That's what we've got to give ourselves to is we've got to get up. Some of y'all have just, you, you've grown roots into the seats that, you were, that you're in. This is my seat. I'm rooted here. Do not get in my seat. We were talking about, Ames was talking about this just a little bit ago. Do not get in my seat. This, we're rooted here in this place. And God wants you to get uprooted from where you are and get in the choir. Or get in the orchestra. Huh? Yes, he does. Uh, You've invested in that seat long enough. Get up and invest in something else. God calls us to do that. He not only says to do that, to separate yourself. That way he comes back and he says, I want you to separate yourself relationally from your people from your relatives. I tell young people from time to time, you just need to stop and understand when it comes to relationships. I'm going through a hard relationship. I'm going through a difficult relationship. I thought we were in love. I thought we were going to get married. This, all of this kind of stuff. And I have to remind them, you need to understand something. God can see a lot further down the road of your life than you can. He can see all the way down the road of your life And you just need to understand that there are some relationships you need to separate from. They're not good for you personally. They're not good for you spiritually. There's some of you here tonight that you're locked in with a relationship that it doesn't build you up, it doesn't edify you, it doesn't encourage you spiritually. And the Lord comes and he says, there needs to be a separation between you and that person. You need to separate yourself. Then he comes, and the third thing that he says here is, listen to this. When he talks about his father's house, let me tell you what he's saying there. He's talking about the personal. He's talking about the real personal. Where is your personality developed? In your father's house, in the home where you grew up. He's talking attitudinally here. I want you to separate yourself from an attitude that you've got. Maybe you're, you've got an attitude, I, I'm, I'm bitter about some things, and I've always been bitter. I'm angry about some I'm touchy. I'm easily offended. I'm easily upset. It doesn't take much to push me over the edge. I struggle with this. I know it's true, and I don't like preachers talking about it to me. But I want you, God comes and he says, I want you to separate yourself from, from those attitudes that you developed growing up there in that family home, separate yourself from that. I've got something new, something better for you. And yet, do you know what we do? We struggle through this. We struggle through. I struggle to get up out of my rootedness in one place and go and invest myself somewhere else. I struggle with this whole thing in in my life of uh, uh, spiritually being in the wrong relationships, Constantly building the wrong relationship, getting out of these relationships that are bad for me. I I struggle with an attitude. I struggle with being irritable. I struggle with being touchy. I struggle with pettiness in my life. And I can't do anything. I've prayed, preacher. I've done everything that I know to do with this in my life. Watch it, what Scripture says. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm just moving down through the text. And the Lord says to him, the land which I will show you, I want you to get up, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land I will show you. Where God calls you to go, God will go with you. I'll show you how. God, how am I gonna get over this sin? How am I gonna get over this struggle? How am I gonna get beyond these things? I will show you. You make the commitment to me, I will show you. I will do that. You go forth. I'm calling you to separation. Now, you separate yourself from these things, and I'll go with you, and I will show you. Abraham had no idea, as I said, where he was going. This is a 75-year-old man. My mama would say he is sot in his ways. A 75-year-old man, you don't go to a 75-year-old. Go to a 20-year-old and tell him this. Don't go to a 75-year-old and tell him this. But God comes to a 75-year-old man, and he says, walk away from everything you've ever known. Walk away from it, leave it, separate yourself from it. And when God told him this, you know the interesting thing to me? Is God never, God never went to Abraham and said, listen, Abraham, I'm going to take you into the land. Now listen, this is what he's going to tell the Hebrews later. I'm going to take you into a land flowing with milk and honey. He never tells him that. He never gives him a picture of it. He never says, you will not believe it. It's like the Silicon You're moving to Palm Springs. There's going to be pools and you'll sit around and sip Arnold Palmer's all day long. He doesn't tell him that. He doesn't give him one thing about the land. He's gonna eventually tell the Hebrews that they're gonna go to a land that has all of this stuff, all of this blessing, but he never says that to Abraham. And look at verse four. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. That's why we call him the father of all the faithful. That at 75 years of age, I've told my wife, my next move is from that house that we've just moved in to a hole in the ground. That's it. And I'm not near 75. I'm praying, God, please don't, please don't. Not, not, not anymore, just, you know, let me. But here he is, 75, and he tells him, I want you to separate. Now, that's the first thing. Now, here's the second thing I want you to see. And the second thing is this. I make my life count when I follow God's direction. Not only follow his call to separation, but when I follow his direction. Now watch it, what he says here. Here are six things that I want you to see. In God's promise to Abraham, he says, this is what I'm gonna do. He comes and he begins, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The major verb in those two, okay, now you have just entered into Old Testament exegesis where we're going to have to deal with the the grammar. You've just hit the major verb right here. You know what the major verb in verse 2 and verse 3 is? Bless. Five times in one form or another, five times in two verses, he uses the, ver- the word blessing. I'm going to bless you. 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 Five times right there, he comes and he tells him that. Now, I want to just say this about, that this is my own personal understanding of the word of God. You can believe something else and be wrong if you want to. But my understanding is this. This is still in effect today. Um, this, This Abrahamic blessing is still in effect because God doesn't change. And God made this with Abram, with the Jew. So let me just walk you through this and let you look at this. Here comes the first thing right here. It's going to be national. I will make you a great nation. Now, I want you to think about I, I described week before, or yeah, two weeks ago on Wednesday night, I gave you a little bit of a description of what Ur was like. It was very progressive, uh, it was very sophisticated, it was very up to date uh, for a capital of that day. Uh, they had some amazing things that we've discovered. I told you those people didn't live in mud huts. They lived in two-story brick homes. They've uncovered that. Well, here he comes, and here's Abram, Abram, who is in this city that has military might and economic might and political might, and he looks at Abram, and he says, I'm gonna make out of you. Now, this is a 75-year-old man who doesn't have a child and has no prospects of having a child, and he looks at him and he says, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. Do you all see how ridiculous that looks? Is Is that not crazy? Sometimes God will come to you and will tell you and instruct you to do things that look illogical, that don't look reasonable. Abraham, yes? I want you to move. I'm 75. I don't care. I want you to get up. I want you to move. I'm going to take you. I'll show you where I want you to go. And when you get there, by the way, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I don't even have a kid. I've been married all these years. We hadn't been able to have a child. How in the world are you going to do that? Well, you know the rest of the story. We'll get there. He does it, doesn't he? He keeps this promise to Abram. I'll make you a great nation. Now, here comes the second thing, and he says this, I will bless you. Now, that word there is a word that really dwells in the area of the spiritual. Now, when we say, oh, man, boy, he's blessed, you know, what do we mean by that? What? He's got money. Oh, he's blessed. He's blessed. Abraham would have never understood it that way. Uh, we've taken and we've westernized and we've Americanized a lot of things in scripture, uh, but when God comes and he says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham would have understood that to be spiritual and would not have thought of the material. And because Abraham did not think of the material, but he understood that God was going to bless him spiritually and he's going to follow him, God, you'll bless me. If I do this, you're going to bless me spiritually? Yes, then I'm going to follow you. And because he never thought about the material, God, by the way, God gave him all of that stuff. Do you remember, I love that passage where Solomon comes and God God appears to him at night and he says, all right, Solomon, get up. Uh, I'm here and I want you to ask me anything you wanna ask me and I'll give it to you. You ask me to give you anything, I'm gonna give it to you. And Solomon, for one moment in his life, has enough sense to say he says, God, he says, what I want is I want wisdom. Give me wisdom. And, and it's almost as if God is shocked by it. He's not. God knew what he was going to ask. It's almost as if God is shocked. God, God says, you know what? Because you didn't ask for all this other stuff, I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm going to throw all the other stuff on there as well. That's just like when somebody comes out with a piece of apple pie, and you just think, oh, man, that's really good. And then they've got, they've got this half-gallon, a bluebell vanilla ice cream behind them. And they just said, we're just gonna put this half gallon of ice cream on top of it. Amen. That'll make you smile, won't it? Well, he says, I'm gonna bless you. And he understood that to be spiritually. And that is what's going to happen. I I, I, I don't have time to get on over into. These two boys of Isaac fight over that birthright. There's two parts to that. There is, there is the material part, but there is the spiritual part of the birthright. They, if you notice when you read that, oftentimes it will talk about the blessing and the birthright. There are two things there. The birthright was all the physical stuff. The blessing was I became priest of the clan. I became the priest of the family. I became everybody's priest. Um, anyway, that's the way they understood. That's what he was talking about here. And he says this, number three, I'm going to make your name great. Now, the word and the concept there is this. God came to him and he said, I'm going to make your name celebrated. That is, you will be known. You will be a man of renown. You will be a man whose name everybody will be familiar with. Now, let me tell you something. There are a lot of Richards, There are a lot of Georges, there are a lot of Johns, there are a lot of Tims, but you come with me to Israel and I'll take you out to Palestinians who've got dozens of boys and every one of them out there running around has got the name Abraham. Jews name their kids Abraham, Muslims name their kids Abraham, Christians name their kids Abraham. Abraham is a renowned name. Now, you just stop and think. Look at your text. You're in chapter 12. God comes to this 75-year-old man nobody's ever heard of out of Ur. Nobody's ever heard of that place. And God calls him out of there, and he says, I'm going to make your name a household name. And what's just happened in, verse, in chapter 11? In chapter 11, you had Nimrod. Nimrod was the man who united everybody after the flood. That is, he was the then ruler of the world. He brought them into his empire. He he planned and they were constructing his kingdom. And you would think we would look back to Nimrod and say, that is the father of civilization, the way we look back to Washington and say, he's the father of our country. And yet nobody remembers Nimrod. Bugs Bunny in one of those cartoons, Looney Tunes, call, is it Elma Fudd? Yeah, no, yeah. It Yosemite, yeah. Yosemite yeah. he calls him Nimrod. You little Nimrod. It's a joke. It's a footnote in a history book. Nimrod's name is never mentioned. But let me tell you something. Everybody talks about Abraham. Everybody. Why? Because my God said so. Ah! He said, I'm going to make your name renowned. I'm going, to, I'm going to make your name great. Now watch this. Here's the next thing, and you shall be a blessing. Now, for Abram, that meant this. You're not going to be a reservoir. I'm not going to just dump into you and dump into you and dump into you but Abram, you will be a conduit. In other words, I will pass my blessings into you and through you to other people. Now, I don't know of anything. I I stood right here yesterday uh, to do a video message. I was asked to come and preach a funeral at First Dallas um, tomorrow, and I, I can't go because I've I've got to present a paper in class tomorrow, and I just I can't go. And I uh, knew the family knew the man well, and um, uh, it was he was he was such a blessing in life, and I wanted to be a blessing to that family. And so I shot a little funeral message to him and sent that, and they'll play that at the funeral tomorrow. I want my life to be a blessing to somebody. LD was a blessing to me. He was, a, he was one of my deacons, and he was a deacon that for the last 12 years that I've been going from Dallas, he'd write me notes on a, on a regular basis. He'd send me a little note, and uh, tell me, I watch you every week. I listen to you. I'm still fine. I'm praying for you, this, that, and the other. Great guy. He was a blessing to me. I pray I was a blessing to him. I don't want to be known. I don't want people, when I walk out, to say, you know, that was a hard man. That, that man, was hard. he was hard-headed. He was hard to get along with. He was just hard to deal with. I want people to say, when I move through, I want them to say, you know what? That old boy was a blessing. He blessed us. Don't you want to be that way? I want to be a blessing to people. I don't want to be an aggravation. So that's what he tells him here. He says, you're going to bless others. I'm going to bless those I'm going to make you a blessing. You'll be a blessing. And then he comes and he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And the ones who curse you, I will curse. Now, let me just tell you something. This is just recorded history right here. And I'm going to tell you, my dad reared me to believe this. And I believe it now on my own that um, God has a special place for the Jew. Now, you say, but they, they killed Jesus. Now, listen, let me, if you go to Acts, you're going to read where Christ was put to death by the predetermined will of God. <laughs> the Jews no more killed Jesus than I killed. I killed him as much as they did. And let me let you in on something. You were holding the hammer too. There is something that God has chosen in his sovereignty about this that I just believe, and that is those who bless them will be blessed, and those who curse them will be cursed. Look at Egypt today. I used to take groups into Egypt. Um, it's always been just a run-down, dirty, third-world country, um, Look at, uh, look at Babylon today. Do you even know where Babylon is? No, it doesn't exist anymore. What about the Edomites? They don't exist anymore. What about the Moabites? They don't exist anymore. You can work your way all the way down to the Romans. The Romans do not exist. You say, well, sure, there are plenty of people that live in Rome. Those are Italians. Those are not Romans. We don't have a clue what the Romans really were like. They've all passed out of existence. I'm going to tell you, this is just wild you start thinking about it historically. Those nations that do that come up in time. Look at Poland. Poland mistreated the Jews, and Poland essentially has been a battleground the last three, four, five hundred years. That's all it's been, constantly torn by war. I don't even have to mention Germany. Go to Spain with the Inquisition of the Jews. Uh, and, and Spain, from that moment on, Spain dropped from being a world power to where it's basically a third-rate nation today as well. Look at Great Britain, with the White Papers and the Balfour Declaration and all of that. All of that after World War One and World War II when they wouldn't let the British, uh, when they wouldn't let the Jews in there with the British Mandate, and they took Debbie and I this time last year, literally walked in. We took these two grand boys with us, and walked into a British concentration camp where when the Jews were fleeing out of Germany, trying to get back into what was then Palestine, trying to get in there, the British would catch them and put them in a concentration camp. Now, they didn't do to them what the Germans did to them, but they did lock them up. They put them in there. What is is Great Britain today? They got to look forward to King Charles. They're no longer an empire. They're no longer an empire. So just kind of look at it historically, and you say, you, you, you say what you want to, and you see this. I read a, a, an article today as they're debating what they're going to do with Omar in, um, in the House of Representatives, and a statement today said that uh, in our day, today in America, um, we are at a 10-year low in our support of the nation of Israel. It scares me. Now, that scares me because I believe this to be true. And then you come to the last thing right here. And he says this, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now that's a prophetic statement right there. What he was saying was this, is Abraham, you are going to have a son. And out of that son, Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah, (laughs) on down through David, into Solomon, it'll split there. I don't have time to show you that, but go read the Go read the lineage in Luke. and Go read the lineage in Matthew. It's going, there's going to split. God looks at Solomon and said, Nope, I'm going to take that blessing from you. And I'm going to pass it over to your brother Nathan. And Joseph is going to come out of Judah, out of Solomon, and Mary's going to come out of Nathan. Just as the word said so. Just like the word said it would. And there you'll come down to Mary and Joseph. When you look at that genealogy and those two, The Messiah could not have been born any other way than that he came down through one who was a descendant of David through Solomon and then she was a descendant of David through Nathan whom God had switched that over to Nathan's side and there she is and uh, she is great with child by the Holy Spirit and there they they have the Messiah. That's what he's talking about right there. That is just fascinating. If I wasn't standing up, if I were sitting where y'all were, I'd just have to get up and go stand in the corner. Now, there, there you have, there you have this Abrahamic covenant right here. The Lord speaks to Abraham. Go forth, separate yourself from your country, your relatives, your father's house, to the land I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. The one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There is coming one through you who will bless all all people, not just the Jews, all people, all people. Now, here you've got a 75-year-old man. He's walking out of Ur. Verse four, so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken. He's walking out of Ur. Now, let me tell you something. I doubt that there was a government um, group there to say goodbye to Abram that day. I doubt that the high school band showed up to play I can almost assure you Wolf Blitzer was not there to cover it for CNN News. Nobody probably noticed it. Nobody probably watched. Nobody probably said anything. As Abram left out of Ur of the Chaldees, he had no idea where he was going at that age in life, and yet he went trusting God because he wanted his life to count for God's glory. Let's bow our heads.